it's just constant ramping up of tension and momentum, it seems like. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to dig into their personal connection to a current or classic release. And you can tell that it's been a long day because I feel like I said democratize weird <laughs> right there. <laughs> You'd think after X number of episodes with that tagline, I would I would uh, have that pretty much down. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> this episode, we're going to be talking about the 1986 film Aliens. And I'm honored to welcome to the show, Will Nexi. Welcome to the show, Will. Hey, how's it going? How are you doing today? Pretty good. Uh, coronavirus free, as far as I know. So that's uh, that's good. Not that there's that's definitely good. <laughs> not that there's any tests to get around to figuring that out. <laughs> but you know, that's a totally different topic. Yeah. Uh, so you and I first connected on CF3 podcast. So uh, over there, we talked about uh, Demolition Man, and Commando, and I think we were working on another uh, another episode with them at some point in the near future. I don't want to give away what movie this heavily being focused on because. That's not that's that's outside of the purview of this <laughs> this show. I'll let the CF3 guys promote that on their own. But so what is kind of generally, you know, we we talked about sort of 80s, 90s action movies over there. Uh, but what is kind of your general interest in movies? Like what kind of movies are you normally drawn to? I mean, obviously sci-fi by this one, but just give a, give listeners a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. Yeah, so it's mostly sci-fi. I like horror, too. I definitely love horror. Um, I like some action, but action's kind of hit or miss, usually. Like, I like action sci-fi or, like, action comedy. Like, the Marvel films kind of are pretty good. But, yeah, mostly sci-fi is, like, the the theme that always keeps coming back to me. And, like, if I see a new movie out and it's sci-fi, there's probably a decent chance that I'll check it out at some point. What are some of like the your favorite ones just lately that you've seen like in the last couple of years I guess like recent? Oh gosh, uh, lately, well it's not really sci-fi; it's more comedy. But I've been watching a lot of Letterkenny, which is a TV show on Hulu from Canada. Nice, nice. And I've been watching Tiger King. Everybody's and... been watching Tiger King. I feel like the only person who <laughs> isn't watching Tiger King, and I live in Tampa. Where that whole big cat rescue oh, thing, whoa. everything is happening. Wow. <laughs> Maybe that's part of why I'm like, uh, I don't need to. I live, I live that life. I mean, not that life, yeah. but I, I, <laughs> I'm familiar with it enough that I don't really need to watch it. Yeah, I mean, I kind of bounce back and forth between like older movies and newer movies. Like, uh, there's a kind of interesting kind of Lovecraftian horror movie called Cold Skin a couple of years ago. Hmm, interesting. And like. I mean, my friend Jeff came on your podcast and talked about Dark City. That's an all-time favorite of mine. Yeah, that's a really interesting movie that I, I think, and this is part of why I like doing the show, is that I think a lot of people either forgot about that or just never caught up with it. And and so that was a good opportunity to for me, who I saw that, I think, when it came on DVD or something at some point. Um, but I hadn't seen it since then, so it had been like 20 years since I saw it. And it's, yeah, I have to. I still have to watch the director's cut of it. Uh, since I had my conversation with Jeff, I haven't gone back and done that. But w- would you recommend that version, or do you have you seen both? Yeah, I've seen both. I'm not entirely clear on what the differences are. Yeah, but I think the final fight scenes extended in the director's cut. Yeah, that but, might be right. We'll, yeah, we'll... I mean, 
I saw it in, initially in the theaters and was blown away. And that came before The Matrix, actually, which I thought was interesting. Right, exactly. Like the year before, and I think they shared, Jeff and I mentioned on that episode, I think they shared like some of the production stuff behind the scenes, like props yeah. or sets and that kind of thing, which is kind of it's just funny to think about. Uh, but yeah, I, and I saw that movie Mortal Engines, which was done by Peter Jackson, which was kind of like the steampunk mobile city kind of movie, which was kind of decent. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. It was entertaining. I don't think it did super well. I think it was supposed to kick off a franchise or something. Yeah, I think it was. (laughs) (laughs) So much for that. Whoops. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I mean, we'll definitely talk about director's cuts and such uh, going, you know, in this episode because I'm I'm assuming you're familiar with the aliens. Uh, extended oh, yes. version. Yeah, so we'll oh, yeah, talk that's about the only that. version I'll watch these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that it, it brings a lot to the movies uh, specifically. So I think it's a good kind of cue uh, lead up into the Aliens discussion. Just talk about what it, what is your general, you know, what are your thoughts on this franchise? Like, is this, is this a big franchise for you or is this one movie just kind of an outlier? It's always been a big franchise for me just because I love the Xenomorphs and I love the horror sci-fi aspect which are two of my favorite like themes in movies and genres and i the the xenomorph is kind of like the perfect nightmare creature in a way Mm -hmm. and i think it's kind of been treated better in some movies than others i guess you could say and i'm not a huge fan of the direction that this franchise has gone in necessarily like I enjoyed Covenant, but it wasn't. I didn't. I like Covenant as an aliens movie. I didn't really like it as a movie. Movie, if that makes any sense. Like I didn't like the story with David creating the xenomorphs out of the creatures that they found on that planet. And I don't know. I just. I think Ridley Scott's lost the theme and is going off in his own direction. He wants to do away with the xenomorph entirely. I heard. Yeah, I, it's weird in a franchise like Alien or even Terminator, which again we have a James Cameron connection there. Yeah, but uh, where they start off, a cer- they you know they start off with a certain filmmaker and then they veer away from that, and then when that filmmaker comes back and tries to take the reins, it, it doesn't really ever completely come together. I think in the case of Dark Fate on the Terminator side, it had been like two failed misfired attempts at trying to get the Terminator franchise back on track. And dark fate was more of a too little, too, too late situation. And then with alien, you know, we had this, these four really different films. I mean, I I don't really like, I don't really like talking about alien resurrection personally, but (laughs) like three, I'm not a big fan of three. (laughs) Three is okay. I, I don't like it. I don't think it's a great movie, but it ends Ripley's arc in a more satisfying way than resurrection does. Yeah. So I'm, sure. I'm happy with the way it ends. Plus it's, it's got that novelty of being David Fincher's first film. So you have Fincher, uh, Cameron and, and Scott, you know, is, so there's three really strong filmmakers. So the, the film the franchise had this whole, like, uh, I don't want to say journeyman quality to it, but where every film, it was just a different filmmaker doing their own version of what an alien movie was, you know, and we'll yeah, talk and about, yeah, go ahead. Well, and Cameron wasn't that well known when he did, aliens either yeah from was, what i understand no exactly i think he um before that he had the terminator the, the first one and then i think that was like his second or third movie at terminator so it's it, he was still rarely early on in his career but even then you know alien is 
the whole sci-fi horror thing that you mentioned. And then Alien 3 is kind of like a prison movie for some reason. Yeah. And then Aliens, Aliens, as we'll get into, is like the war movie version of it. So it's like, you know, you get three different genres in a way out of this one concept. And I think that's always been what has made uh, what has made the franchise interesting. And then you get to Prometheus and it's just like, really, Scott, <laughs> we're going to do something else. For, you know, I'm like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I, how I feel about that. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about the new direction either. It's it's not what I would have done. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so I feel like we're kind of already leading into our Aliens conversation. So why don't we go ahead and listen to a little bit of the trailer for Aliens right now. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. That was a little bit of the trailer for Aliens from 1986, written and directed by James Cameron. I always forgot that this is one of the few that he actually wrote. He stopped writing his own movies, I think, at a certain point and had like was co-writing them and things like that. I always forget that he he actually wrote this one, too. Um, So I think Alien and Aliens is one of those classic cinematic conversations for as far as which one do you prefer? I know in this case, the answer for you is Aliens, but why? Why do you prefer Aliens over Alien, if in fact you do? And what was your first exposure to this uh, particular chapter? Well, so Alien I was never allowed to see as a child because it was my parents saw it when it came out in the theater and it scared my mom to death. And she was like, you're not allowed to see that because I used to get nightmares as a kid and was very, had a very big imagination as a child, you could Mm. say. (laughs) (laughs) And so... I, one day at the middle school library, I found a novelization of the movie of Aliens. And so since I couldn't watch it and I was really curious about it because I've been told I wasn't allowed to watch it, I read the novel and it scared me to death. <laughs> like I had real bad nightmares for a couple weeks, but then like I kind of overcame them actually. And that was the last time I was really terrified as a child. Wow, so Aliens was a formative part of your, uh, I guess, childhood development. Yeah, like, I mean, you you always have random nightmares here and there, yeah. but that was the, like, the last time that I really remember being scared by something, because I was just scared so intensely by the concept of these creatures that burst out of your chest and are like beetles and insects and apes and just nightmare fuel dragons basically yeah yeah their dragons dragons. come to life yeah they're space dragons exactly and it's kind of funny you actually say space dragons because i actually collect little dragon miniatures and stuff nice no way (laughs) i wonder if that has some connection with yeah there you go yeah so when did you actually get a chance to see aliens the movie so the first time i got a chance to see it was in high school i rented it from blockbuster and I watched it with my friend, and that was the original theatrical cut. 
because at that time the special edition was only available on Laserdisc, and I didn't know anybody who had the Laserdisc edition, Laserdisc or Laserdisc player or anything like that. Right. I don't think anybody knows anybody that ever had Laserdisc. I feel like it's one of those <laughs> things that was out there, and I remember seeing it in stores. But I don't, I, yeah, nobody that I've ever really encountered has ever been like, oh man, you need to check out my laser disc collection. Yeah, they were real weird. And they were these huge, like, record sized yeah. DVDs, based, proto DVDs, basically. They were super bizarre, super yeah. expensive, I think. The beginning of uh, special features accompanying your films, though, I believe, was laser disc, which is cool. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because they had the extra space on the disc and they were like, let's fill it up. Yeah, exactly. So did you see Alien and Aliens around the same time? Like, did you watch them in order or did you see Aliens and then go back? I saw Aliens first and then I saw Alien a, a couple weekends later when we went back to Blockbuster. Okay, okay. And I was like, I want to see more of this. Like, So over the years then, what has, how has your perception for towards those two, the two films changed and how how do you you know what is it about aliens that is it just because it's more action heavy than the than the first one like what about the the second film really vibes with you do you think i think definitely the action appeals to me because growing up i my dad would always take me to action movies and stuff so we would see a lot of those together so action films from like the 80s and 90s kind of have a special place in my heart from that oh yeah absolutely like just action films that have always, I mean, nowadays not so much with action films because they're just kind of whatever, I guess. I don't know. They've kind of lost their interest for me. You can only see the same thing so many times in different ways. Mm-hmm. But, like, the, it's the mix of sci fi and action, I think, that really nails it perfectly. And it's like, Cameron said it was supposed to be kind of like, uh, the Vietnam, a Vietnam War analogy, in a way, was how he pictured it. Like, the, the soldiers with their technological superiority being defeated by monsters who come out of the night and don't follow any rules and whatever and outnumber them and everything. Yeah, I think you definitely get that with the whole... You, you get that vibe with the whole military unit and all the, you know, all the characters and then just kind of that... Kind of that it does have that sort of... Um, apocalypse now-esque vibe that's and that's kind of what i was alluding to with the whole that it's it's a sci-fi horror you know with like a war movie aspect thrown in there and so so was that weird for you going back and watching the second one and then going to see the first one because it's it's like in a way kind of a completely different genre were you were you kind of disappointed by the lack of action in the first one or how do you how do you feel about that one now yeah initially i was disappointed by the lack of action because as a teenager, I was really about like action films and right. stuff like that and heavy stimulation. And so it was a much slower burn, but over time I've come to appreciate it a lot more. And like, I really do like Alien now on its own. I think it's one of those things that, that yeah, that it, whichever one you encounter first is kind of the one that you always gravitate towards a little bit. But it's, yeah. it's sort of the it's sort of like Star Wars fans with like Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back. It's like they're both kind of held almost in equally equal esteem to, to fans. It just kind of you know it's 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 depends on where you were when you saw whatever film and that kind of thing. Um, so we'll so we'll get into uh, the Alien Three and how that paid right. off or didn't pay off uh, <laughs> Aliens a little bit later. But yeah, I just. 
I thought because I thought it was interesting that you picked aliens and not alien just because they do have that. They're like two heads of the same coin in a way, two xenomorph heads of the same coin, um, <laughs> or one or one head inside the other head, maybe that pops out. <laughs> yeah, um, a little jaws <laughs> popping out. <laughs> a little bit, um, but it's also too. It's it's interesting as far as its place as a big Hollywood sequel because I think you know people might not you know really think about it or remember it now at this point. Now everything gets a sequel. Now everything's a shared universe. But back in the day, like you didn't sequels were not a given sequels just didn't happen and sequels were almost always considered inferior to the original i mean uh oh yeah on this podcast i've talked about you know terminator 2 empire strikes back we did a whole star wars thing but like before the mid to late 80s like for empire and this movie and things like that started changing that perception a sequel was always like a diluted version of it like you think of I don't know, airplane and how much people love airplane. And then there's an airplane too that no one talks about because why would you bother? Um, but I think with this one, it's also not only that sequels can be artistically and stylistically and creatively up to the level of the original, if not surpassing it, but it's also just with the title alone, it's just like, it's the same, but more <laughs> instead yeah, of one alien, no, there's mean, a bunch of aliens. And I love that the title yeah, is so simple. It. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like I love the way that that he manages to get that across with the, just with the the simple uh, addition of an S at the end of the title. Oh, it's so much more potent than Alien Two would have been. Right. Yeah. If you liked Alien, here's here's multiples. We're gonna we're gonna yeah we're gonna multiply the aliens. So you know, let's talk about a little bit about about the director's cut in, itself. So. The director's cut obviously is, you know, 17 minutes longer and I think contributes a ton to not only the, I mean, I don't know if there's a lot of action necessarily that was cut out. I feel like it was all character stuff, but I think it does balance out the movie in a, in a really, in a really powerful way, especially for Ripley. Can you speak to that a little bit? Oh, definitely. It gives it a lot more weight to the story. Like you see the colony as it is before the aliens come, you see the Wayland yutani logo everywhere bright and bold the corporation finally gets a name from alien i mean you see the extended scene on the drop ship while they're flying down to the planet with hudson bragging about the weapon systems that they have making them seem even more invincible and like ready to deal with anything when in reality they're completely unprepared i mean there's just a ton of extra scenes in the director's cut that really add to the whole weight of the story and give it a lot more life, I think, than a straight-up sci-fi action film might have, necessarily. And I think Ripley's character is is far more developed. I think in the the director's cut, I think, where you learn that she had a daughter, right? Yeah, and they actually show... So the picture that they show of Ripley's daughter as a grown woman is actually a picture of Ripley's mom, in real life. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's that's and part of the boardroom scene is cut out in the theatrical cut. So you don't see the full grilling and the corporate big wigs bullshitting Ripley about her disbelieving her experience. And I mean, there's a lot that got left on the cutting room floor. I mean, it's 17 minutes doesn't sound like it's that much. I mean, obviously it was a lot because they 
felt like the movie wouldn't succeed theatrically with all that extra footage in there. So they cut it out for some reason or another. And like the one scene that I do agree with them cutting from the theatrical cut was when they're talking about the alien queen, because they kind of give it away almost. Mm -hmm. They're talking about, oh, it's like an ant hive. Oh, bees have hives. Like, yeah, so between Hudson and Vasquez and... So you think it actually that that setup would have kind of spoiled the big reveal at the end? Yeah, and that's why they cut that scene out. From what I read, was mm. specifically because they felt it gave away too much of the queen's appearance, like the pure shock of, look, it's an alien but bigger. It's the mother <laughs> alien, like it's the one laying all the eggs. There's like. not just more of them. There's a, a really huge one too. Yeah, and she's pissed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's probably just for runtime a lot of it that it was trimmed down because the i think the theatrical cut is 137 minutes and i think this was also before every movie that came out was like two and a half hours i think oh yeah it was Hobbs and shaw is like 140 have... minutes i feel like, oh, like everything Ugh. is so long now <laughs> yeah so. everything's gotten real long these days because they've seen that a longer movie can give a storyteller more freedom to tell a more in in theory a better story you would hope a better story with that extra time and that audiences are willing to sit there and still pay for it. But in 86, a two and a half hour long movie was unheard of. Yeah, exactly. Especially a main, I mean, maybe if it was like, uh, I don't know, Amadeus or something like an, an right, Oscar, yeah. like a biopic, like an Oscar play, but a mainstream, you know, blockbuster, like crowd pleasing sequel like this. Yeah, that wouldn't have happened. But then now fast forward 20 something years, 30 something years, actually. And you get, you know, three hours of the Avengers traveling through time and all that <laughs> stuff. So it's like completely different landscape. Uh, I also, you know, I, actually, I didn't, I think I saw these movies, crap, I want to think, I want to say late teens, early, my late teens, early 20s. Uh, it might have been, might have been Alien versus Predator coming out where I saw that <laughs> and I was like, you know what, I should catch up on those. I don't think I... Because I, you know, these are not movies that were really floating around my household as a kid for obvious reasons. Right. Uh, so yeah. I, I think I got, I think I got the uh, Alien quadrilogy, like each one out of the library or something on DVD. So I, I don't even know if I've ever seen the theatrical cut of Aliens, and it's hard and hard for me to imagine the movie working as well with all that stuff taken out. Like, even, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. Even as is, this was one of the biggest hits of 1986 and it got like seven Oscar nominations, including one for Sigourney Weaver, which is insane considering the kind yeah. of movie it is. So yeah, I, a woman in an action film getting an Academy award. That was like unheard of. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I feel like all of that would have been heightened even further had this movie been released with all this, all that additional footage and all that, um, you know, the just even the even this. And I, I keep focusing on this because it is so crucial to Ripley's story in this movie. But even the reveal that she had a daughter, that she had that like that, you know, the maternal instinct that she has for Newt isn't just yeah, you know, because mean, she's a woman. Because, yeah, the whole Newt arc doesn't really make sense without the imp- without the weight of ha- Ripley having found out that she lost her daughter by two years. Like, right. Two years if she'd been found two years sooner should have been home for her daughter eventually like way later than her 11th birthday but she still would have gotten to see her again but yeah. now she's gone yeah she would have gotten her like uh interstellar reunion scene at the very end of that movie <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah exactly and i think it plays up to 
you know, this classic trope in sci-fi movies is like the evil corporation. And I think the director's cut of this one really leans into that a lot more. And and this film compared to the first one leans into that a lot more. As we've seen um, in the Terminator films, that's definitely something that James Cameron loves is <laughs> his evil oh, corporation. Yeah. So it's, you know, and there it's Cyberdyne and here it's Wayland Yutani. So uh, I guess we should get into a little bit of that and like the, how this movie builds up the mythos of the uh, the company, as it were. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of cyberpunk in a way, like the megacorp. Exactly, like, it really is. The colossal corporation that's so big it has the corner on building spacecraft, like an English-Japanese conglomerate like that builds spacecrafts. Like, how big a corporation must that be? Mm-hmm. But it's kind of funny because in the movie they're talking about money and Burke is like, Ripley, we can make millions. And like nowadays, that'd be billions, obviously. Right. And they're talking about like the cost of the whole thermonuclear atmospheric processors in the millions of dollars, like not even hundreds of millions, but just millions. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's definitely dated in some ways by that, but. But at the like, same time, the whole, you know, profit over human life thing is, is sort of timeless, unfortunately. And oh, in yeah. A real way. I mean, Wayland Utani plays a huge role in the whole alien mythos, like in all the rest of the movies and in like the comic books and in the novelizations and the novels that they wrote too off of the just the alien mythos that was created between Giger and Scott and Cameron and Fincher. Like there's quite a lot of creative potential in that story universe. And that's another thing that always brings me back to this whole franchise is not just the movies, but the comic books and the novels too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the comic books are something that I was able to get access to as a teenager when I wasn't really supposed to, and as a younger child, when I really wasn't supposed to be knowing about this franchise, you know, like yeah. I would find the comics at the comic book store and pick them up and be like fascinated because I'd already read the novel of aliens. So I was just hooked after that. I was a big novelization reader too as a kid. I think that's cool that that was your entry point into this franchise. Though you're reading about it first, that's such a neat, a neat yeah, way think, to come in. I think it gave the alien a lot more horror actually by reading it in a novelization form because I didn't really know. I didn't really have a form in my mind necessarily, so it was more tenuous and nightmarish in a way. Right, and the images in your head didn't need to be run by the MPAA. So no, like, like the aliens in my head were way worse fun. than in the movie, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so going back to the company, I, and I love the fact that they not only do they have that that evil corporation sort of hanging over this this whole film and this whole franchise, as you mentioned, but you have Paul Reiser, who is you know kind of very oh, like man. nebbishy, like stand up comic stuff kind of thing at that point, and him representing that like the most unassuming person the most unintimidating person kind of representing this, the air quotes, friendly face of this evil corporation. Oh yeah. Just a genius, genius bit of casting. No, it was perfect. Like I can't just like, you can't really picture it without the scene where Ripley loses her daughter. You can't picture aliens without Paul Reiser as Carter Burke. Like he's the perfect little weasel. And then, I mean, the, eventual betrayal when he's backed into a corner and he's going to get found out for causing all these problems and his power grab to make money off of the alien as a bioweapon like i mean he he 
perfectly epitomizes Wayland Utani as they come to be recognized in the mythos and the whole franchise. Like the evil corporation that's willing to do anything to turn a profit, to turn the alien into a bioweapon, regardless of the consequences. Like in one of the comics, the Wayland Utani does get an alien back to Earth eventually, and it de- gets loose and decimates the planet. Like. And they have to fight a whole war to eventually reclaim the planet from the aliens and stuff. It's crazy. Wow. See, that's a. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely talk about paths they should have or could still take as far as following up aliens, because obviously there's been a lot of talk about that over the last few years. But that sounds like a story that they could definitely bring to the screen. Uh, oh, it would be amazing. Yeah. Com- that comic, the. What it was it called? Like the Earth War series or something like that? It was three comics or three graphic novels together. Very cool. I feel like Ridley Scott is the only one that's really obsessed with. But how did they start? Or, 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 or you know, just as you as you mentioned earlier, just how do I get off of these xenomorphs and just do something completely different yeah, under the I under think. the alien name, under the alien brand? I guess basically. Yeah, that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to get away from the xenomorph. He feels like his time is done. When I don't think I don't agree with that. Well, it's time was is it? It's hard to say when it's time it's done because. You know, oh, so like, mismanaged. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like I keep going back to this, but obviously we have James Cameron as sort of a, the linking uh, piece here. But just like the Terminator franchise, the Alien franchise has one really strong film, a second really strong, arguably better film, and then a bunch of crap that is like all over oh, yeah. the place. It's like you know, are there good things in some of those movies? Maybe, but it's like none of them. Like it's all like it's it's such a precipitous drop from one to and then everything else that is just, oh yeah i mean it perfectly lives up to the downfall of the sequel that we were talking about earlier like the sequel is a diluted watered down version of the original and right. i think you have two very strong very original films and the third one has some merit here and there but after that it's just rubbish right yeah, like, no. I actually like you said there's redeeming parts here and there, but none of them are anywhere near the originals. Yeah, 100%. And that's ironically or coincidentally, that's actually the thing that I appreciate about both Alien 3 and Terminator uh, 3 Rise of the Machines is the ending. Like I think the everything that comes before the last 5 minutes is kind of all over the place and doesn't really work or it works as like a much inferior version of everything that came before it. But the fact that Terminator 3 ends with John Connor like set up to be the savior of humanity, the fact that Alien 3 ends with Ripley literally giving her life to, to destroy the, the xenomorph to keep the company from getting it, which that's been all she's been doing this whole time. No, oh, yeah. She's uh, been at war with the company this yeah. whole time. And I think that's those are those are perfect ways of ending those character stories, which is why I, when I did get the Alien movies, I picked up the like uh, triple pack DVD years ago. Uh, from Target or wherever, where it doesn't oh, have Alien that. Resurrection. I'm like, I, I don't need that. I'm going to pretend that's that's the end. Um, I'm also obsessed with the concept of a trilogy, so that in general doesn't. Gotcha. Yeah, that it's it's a lot easier for me to cut out the fourth one. Uh, oh yeah. Generally, but yeah, you don't really need to pay attention to Resurrection. It's yeah, yeah. Just kind of a yeah. It's it's kind of a mess. Um, I think that I wanted to talk about one with the company. Uh, we talked about how Aliens carries over that whole theme about Ye- uh, Wayland yutani and them trying to get the uh, Xenomorph no matter what. You know, the uh, life, the crew is expendable, that kind of thing. And oh, everything's can- expendable. <laughs> pretty much. 
uh, and everything. It, it, Cameron really honors that theme in this moon, obviously. But in a lot of ways, he also subverts audience expectations, which is something else he does in, you know, in Terminator 2, it's the uh, the T-800 turns out to be the hero, obviously, right. as opposed to the other way. And here you have sort of a prototype of that twist with the whole Bishop, uh, Bishop versus Ash thing. Yeah. And so Lance I, Henriksen was amazing in that role as Bishop. Like, he was. Again, you can't have aliens without him as Bishop. Like, you just can't. Like, I can't think of an actor who could be recast and have it be anywhere near as good of a movie, and he's just perfect for the role. Like, they really nailed the casting in a lot of ways on this movie, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. Um, But yeah, it's it's just, I think it's a testament to just Cameron's sort of mastery over the sequel as an art form, too. You get him kind of cutting his teeth sequel-wise. Well, I mean, he did do Piranha 2 or whatever that was, like his first movie. I don't count. Yeah. I don't even think he... I, don't even, I haven't seen that, so I don't know how much it even ties into Piranha 1, but... Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> but uh, he does Aliens and then, I think, The Abyss and then uh, Terminator 2. So it's sort of like him kind of developing like okay how would i approach a sequel like how do i do the same bigger plural this time but uh but also flip things on its head enough to make everything feel fresh and i think you get a lot of that here and bishop's obviously a a key part of that so i think that's kind of a good segue into the rest of the supporting cast i mean and this thing we talked about one thing i wanted to say yeah yeah, please go ahead is that like so i think what cameron nailed with aliens and what the follow-up sequels to aliens alien three resurrection and the rest of them kind of lost track of is like you said cameron did something fresh and new with the same basic material of the xenomorph and the subsequent movies have been all trying to do the same thing as what's come in previous movies which is just be like a horror sci-fi and or telling a different story without the xenomorph which is whatever but I don't think that I think they've really lost sight of what Cameron did to make aliens just as good or better in some ways than alien was originally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think he, he did, he blew out the, the premise and ex- expanded upon it in ways that naturally shifted the genre where it didn't have to, you know, he, he took the the template of what was there and he's like, well, what's the logical, what's the logical next step to this without, you know, <laughs> retreading too many of the same uh, right. story points. And I think three's big downfall was it tried to go back to the roots of alien and try to just be like a sci-fi horror, but in a prison, which was whatever, instead of on a spaceship. Yeah, that's a good point. It's basically, uh, more the same, but more just more people <laughs> in the place instead. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it doesn't exactly work. And that that movie just it feels like it's just really flat to me for a lot of the runtime. It's just like, oh, yeah, this is just I don't really care about this or any of the characters. Uh, no, and, not like I mean, you do about the Marines, like you care about the Marines, like exactly when perfect, Hudson perfect. gets dragged under the ground, like you care about that, like you care about a pwn getting grabbed from behind and dragged off. And you care when they find out that he's still alive in the nest and being impregnated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something about this particular, like the the original film has obviously a lot of standout supporting characters as well. But I feel like something oh, yeah. about this cast and this ensemble 
you know, not only Weaver, but also Michael Bean, Paul Reiser, Lance Henriksen, even Kerry Henn. Obviously, we mentioned Bill Paxton's Hudson. Uh, all everybody in this movie, Jeanette Goldstein, like this has it's just they gel together as such an ensemble. Oh in, yeah, in a way that that none of the other like I can't think of any of the other beyond again beyond the second film, any of the other supporting characters in really any of the other. I think Charles dances in Alien Three. Uh, but that's not really, I forget his character's name because he's not really interesting <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah. The only things I can really think of in the third one is that uh, Lance Henriksen shows up at the end and yeah. as, as Bishop. But, but that's again that's only because like I'm like, hey, Lance Henriksen, <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. Uh, getting a paycheck, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, it just, yeah, let's let's talk about the, the cast, the supporting cast here. Obviously, Michael Bean and Bill Paxton coming over from uh, from the Terminator to join this one. But what is it about this ensemble that you think is still really makes fans, uh, you know, every time any kind of whisper happens online of, oh, they want to do an alien movie like the picks up from aliens, like legit with Hicks and with all the because that's something that I know Neil Blomkamp, the guy that did District 9 and uh, worked yeah. with her on uh, Chappie, Sigourney Weaver. Uh, yeah, he wants to do that. Yeah. I don't know if that's even happening anymore. I feel like that kind of it got apart. it got killed in favor of Prometheus, from what I understood. Let's talk about what is it about <laughs> this cast? Do you think that works so well? So one thing that I know is that they train like the whole Marine squad together as a whole with the SAS for a couple weeks before shooting, and like the guy who plays a pwn was an actual real Marine from the Vietnam War. In fact, I think he was the first African American to be promoted to sergeant or something like that. So like he, he had real Marine credentials. So like he whipped them into shape as a real unit. And I think that really comes through in the movie and that they really care about each other and that they're a squad and that they're best buddies. And like they're ribbing each other on the ship and like, Hey Vasquez, you ever been mistaken for a woman? No, have you? (laughs) And like all the back and forth bantering and like, the camaraderie is really what seals it, I think, and really makes them cohesive. And Ripley and Gorman and uh, Paul Reiser were not allowed to train with the Marines because they were supposed to be set apart and like isolated from the Marines and like not part of the squad. Right. And I think that comes through in the shooting too. Like it's little things like body language and the way people angle their bodies to each other when they're talking. And, like, all sorts of little tiny things that add to the gestalt, like, cohesiveness of the squad is, like, the ultimate badasses. They're really, like, set up before everything goes to rubbish. Like, they're really set up to be, like, the ultimate badasses. Like, we're here on the planet. We're going to secure things. Like, we're going to check everything out with our motion trackers. Like, we've got all this technology and, like, yeah. Yeah, it's like if, if Harvey Keitel's Pulp Fiction character was a squad of Marines, this is who you'd call in to come and uh, <laughs> solve your problems. They're the wolf, basically. Yeah, um, yeah and I think that, the, as you said, the camaraderie comes across. Cameron's really smart about weaving in, you know, and sprinkling in some levity amongst all of it. So the, the movie never really feels too self-serious either. You have that kind of joking, uh, you know, kind of underlying thing with some of their interactions until shit gets real. And even then it's kind of funny with the game over, man. Game oh over. yeah. Like so quotable. Everything like, is really I mean, so quotable. It, it keeps it funny. Like, yeah, uh, this movie is so quotable. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It, it never makes itself 
it never, uh, I don't know, it never takes its, I, I, it, like the movie has stakes, obviously, but it, it never forgets what kind of movie it is. It knows yeah, it's, it's a big, like, popcorn flick, and it, and it yeah, leads into it's that. not as heavy-hearted as Alien was and somber. Right, exactly. Like, it's, I find it more enjoyable. Yeah, it's more fun to watch than Alien, for sure. Because yeah. Alien's whole thing is it's basically a, a slasher movie in space or a haunted house movie on a yeah. spaceship or whatever you want to call it, but... Yeah, it's exactly. It's that kind of sense of foreboding that hangs over it, an atmosphere. It's like, yeah, it's like um, the alien has more in common with something like Shining, like The Shining or something like that. Yeah, than Aliens, which is more like it's more like a Terminator movie in a way, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, So going back to that whole, you know, how much we love the ensemble who sadly (laughs) falls apart by the end of the movie, uh, (laughs) we did leave, they did leave us. Uh, Hicks and Newt and kind of part of Bishop Bishop's head or his torso I think it's his torso yeah sure. it's his torso uh, so how how bummed out were you when you went to see Alien 3 you're like ooh more Hicks I can't wait to see what happens next uh, oh I found out about it before I ever saw Alien thank goodness. 3 so it's probably it took away. me a long time before I was ever willing to see it just because I was not willing to say goodbye to Hicks and Newt and every like I just wasn't ready for it <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like, the worst I love part. this movie and I just wasn't, I didn't want to deal with them dying. Like I thought it was bullshit. Like that's kind of I the worst part of that. it too, is that you don't even get to say goodbye to them. She wakes up and she's like, Oh crap. I'm the only one here. Yeah. Like, kind of. It's again to go, I keep doing this, but I mean, it's like dark fate where they're like, you remember John Connor? Don't worry about John Connor anymore. <laughs> We've got other things too. I don't spoilers. <laughs> if you haven't seen dark fate. Uh, I don't intend to. <laughs> okay, well, then do you know? Do you know how it starts? No. Okay, well, it starts early on. It's kind of soon after Terminator Two, and uh, well, John, John, and Sarah Connor are kind of confronted again by a T eight hundred, and it takes out John Connor, like literally in the first oh, two minutes of the movie. <laughs> so it's kind of like this with Alien Three, where they're like, "Oh, look at all these characters you love. We're gonna kill most yeah. of them." Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so what? What? I guess what I want to get to here is where would you want to see, would you want to see Blomkamp or anyone else try and do a, a like literal follow-up to this? Or do you like, just leave it alone, just make it a two-film series and we'll, we'll end it there? So there's an audio book that audio, there's an audio drama that Audible put out actually based on William Gibson's original script for Alien 3, which was kind of a Cold War thing like Hicks and Bishop and Ripley and Newt go to like this lock has like a problem in space travel and they get stranded at like some space station out in the middle of space. And then there's like some cold war thing between like Americans between like the ICC, the Weyland Utani, the corporations versus like some kind of vaguely Russian Chinese threat that's communist on like another space station. And like the, it's a really good audio drama. Like, I would definitely recommend it if you want more of Aliens because it picks up right where it it's basically like Alien 3 never happened. Mm-hmm. It's it's the script that I wish that they'd done because William Gibson was an old favorite author of mine. I haven't read any of his recent stuff, but like his cyberpunk sprawl trilogy is one of my favorite trilogies of fiction of all time. And like he wrote the script for Alien 3 and like I so wish that this had happened instead. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I'd be totally down for like them to do like the Alien Earth War trilogy because that's 
kind of similar to aliens picking up after aliens with like a marine and like a colonial survivor as like the only people to escape from an alien infestation and then like everything goes to shit back on earth when the aliens get loose because the corporations are using them for bioweapons and drugs and stuff and yeah yeah i do feel like if they did a, another movie it would they would have to do something very you know very different than aliens just because that's what made aliens so so um oh yeah so impactful and be... you know there's the video game from 2013 that's aliens colonial marines that actually has some of the you know yes. actors returning and things like that but that's yeah. again kind of more of aliens i feel like taking it having the you know the company actually get their hands on a uh, a xenomorph and having bringing it to earth and just kind of letting it be set on earth i think that would be a smart way of doing it and luckily you know you have these characters in hibernation. You could you could just say, "Oh, they were in there for decades," and now yeah. Sigourney Weaver's like sixty, um, right? I mean, and just it's roll like that. Totally doable. Yeah. Or you could have Sigourney be off on like some tour of the colonies, running from Wayland Utani or something this whole time. Or like, there's so many ways you could do it and do something original, which I think was like we talked about earlier. That's the real power of Aliens is that it takes the original mythos and expands upon it with a whole new story in a new direction. Mm -hmm. I don't think you need to reinvent the wheel necessarily, but like we're saying, I don't think diluting it by giving more of the same is necessarily the right solution at this point. Right. Or or delving further into a backstory nobody ever really wanted to know to begin with. Oh yeah. It's I, like I um, so don't care about Prometheus. <laughs> it's like uh it's like again to go back to uh, Star Wars, it's like when they made Solo and everybody's like I don't really need to know that how he got his name <laughs> or met so like how yeah. he met Chuba. Who gives a shit? <laughs> it's like it's basically yeah, a, a Wikipedia like, entry brought to life. It's just like did you know that he got his name solo because he was by himself. And we're like, they don't care. I don't know. You're wasting like $200 million to tell this story. Um, yeah. And it kind of bit him in the ass from what I heard. <laughs> kind of did. Kind of did. Um, but yeah. So, so I mean, I, I think that would be cool. I think Sigourney Weaver would, she's been saying that she's been wanting to do that forever. And, you know, Ripley is obviously was like the kind of prototypical female action hero before Sarah Connor and all that, like on the big screen that made that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Made, you know, made a, being a woman and being a badass in an action movie like that made it really mainstream and popular and, uh, you know, sort of kicked, made it okay for Hollywood to be like, you know what? I, maybe if we give this, you know, if we give a woman a gun, she could actually do some cool things and bring in audiences. I think, Obviously, that was a stigma that's sort of broken down somewhat over the years. Not so much because people are still like, I don't know, a female superhero, a, a lady <laughs> with a lightsaber. I don't know if I can deal with that. Um, but aliens, I think, kind of proved that that, you know, I think people forget that that's not that big a deal and that we've been seeing that on the big screen for decades. So, oh, yeah, it just hasn't been as prominent in, in, as, in as many movies as it is nowadays. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and I mean, in this case, it resulted in easily one of the best sequels ever made. I think that's, I think that's, you know, kind of oh, yeah, uh, inarguable at this point. I, yeah. you know. Let's see. Is there anything else we wanted to talk about aliens? I did want to talk about um, that. This film, I feel like it's one of Cameron's first instances of, of doing what I like to call the four act structure, where you think the movie's over, you think they're getting away and then well, not so fast. Uh, which he does in True Lies, and uh, I feel like it's somewhere else, at least another one of the Terminators or something. But that obviously leads into the big 
confrontation between Ripley and the alien queen. So let's, what, what is it about that, that sequence that works so well? Because it's been so influential in cinema. I mean, you see in everything from like, uh, um, the matrix or avatar, you st- again, Cameron kind of ripping on himself. You got those like mech suits. Uh, yeah. <laughs> w- what is, what is it about that? That works so well because it's very, it's very thrilling every time you watch it. it totally. Yeah. I mean, it's a way of extending the movie and giving it more momentum and not losing momentum. It seems like, cause like in that whole escape scene, when they're, Running down the ventilation shafts after ventilation shafts after the aliens bust in through the ductwork, and then they're trying to escape, and then all of a sudden Newt falls down through the spinning wheel thing, and they have to go rescue her, and then oh, but she gets taken by the aliens, and it doesn't really dissipate the like a lot of times when you extend the length of a movie, you risk I think diluting the action that's going on in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But with this sequence, like in within Aliens at least, it just keeps ramping up until Ripley's confrontation with the Queen and her saving of Newt, and then they escape on the dropship. And then, but wait, there's more on the spaceship with the final showdown with the Queen Mother and the power loader scene. And, like, it just, I mean, I don't... I don't know if he still has what he used to have mm-hmm. in terms of creative ability, but once upon a time, Cameron really knew how to drive a movie like perfectly, at yeah. least in my mind. Like yeah. I, and I mean, uh, as part of uh, actually, as part of my when I was in college, I did my honors thesis on like morality and sci-fi and stuff, and so I did a whole mm. deep dive into the first Alien. It's one of my one thing, uh, one one part of it, and it's in, oh, even like little things like in this movie, like the fact that Aliens is so focused on, uh, you know, the theme of motherhood and and uh, Ripley losing oh, yeah. her daughter and then sort of adopting, you know, Newt as sort of her surrogate daughter. That's what it, like thematically it fits that she's having a battle with the Queen Alien. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. so it's almost like the, a a struggle alien. between two mothers, like fighting for their air quotes kids. And I, I think little things like that, like. He's Cameron was is so good as as a writer and a director of of honing in on those things and having everything feel of a piece as opposed to, you know, just random action scene upon action scene. And yes, the tension and all that stuff is there. But I also feel like there's a certain uh, subtext that he bakes into a lot of his movies as well that I think uh, has them helps them to stand up not only as entertainment, but also as, as art in a, in a weird way. Yeah. Too. Yeah, I mean, the whole mother arc, like you mentioned with Ripley, like she loses her daughter kind of to the aliens, kind of to the corporation. And then she gains Newt and is instantly protective of her and giving her hot cocoa and like chasing uh, uh, Gorman away from Newt, like when Gorman's trying to interrogate her Mm -hmm. and she's just locked up and. Then Ripley like gives her the little tracking bracelet later on when she puts her to bed, and like tells her about how she lost her daughter, but won't say that her daughter's dead. But Newt knows, and the audience knows that Newt knows. And then like uh, to the very end of the movie, when Newt calls Ripley mom, like that, it's not a cheap mom when Newt calls Ripley mom. It's not like cheap it's got a lot of weight to it. Like 
that's really been earned by Ripley, like going above and beyond to save Newt and like go rescue her from the alien nest. Mm-hmm. When like any re- sensible person would have been like, whatever, what can we do? She's gone. We got to get out of here before this blows. But like Ripley, like goes back to confront her demons, like the alien, the, like the pure space dragon nightmare fuel, like in their own lair, like to re- rescue Newt, like. I mean, again, like, that's another element that just contributes to the whole gestalt of this movie. Like, without the whole Ripley-Newt drama, like, the movie wouldn't be what it is. Yeah, he roots, like he roots everything in character, I think, is the big difference. Yeah, I mean, Sigourney didn't really want to do an Alien sequel originally because she was really worried about it, doing exactly what we were discussing, diluting the original property. But then when she saw Cameron's script and she saw, like, the interactions between Newt and Ripley and, like, the whole motherhood arc, like, she was all in. And, like, and Cameron had to have Sigourney Weaver for this movie. Like, there were some budget negotiations and, like, the studio didn't really want to pay her million-dollar salary and give her a cut of the uh, gross. But, like, Cameron was like, I'm not going to do it without Weaver. Mm Mm-hmm. Like he knew that she was critical to the story. Yeah, it's that classic story. It's that classic kind of uh, creative dilemma of you know, what is your movie? What is your what is your what is your movie about? And it's like, well, it's about you know this group of Marines that go. And it's like, no, no, no. What is it about? Like, and the fact that Cameron is able to have his movie actually be about something, about motherhood or about you know whatever. I think it, it is a testament to the, it's what separates a movie like aliens, which works on both levels to, to something like commando, which works on no levels, you know, <laughs> which, oh, definitely. which like, works as a one line. Like this is like an onion. This is like layers upon layers of intricately crafted story, all meshing together like gears perfectly. Well, as like you said, commando is just a bunch of one liners and like explosions. Right. And nonsense. <laughs> Is it this movie or one of the other Alien movies? Because I rem- I can't remember off the top of my head. I know that in one of them, Ripley has a whole s- speech like comparing the company to the Xenomorph and how, you know, the company is all underhanded in their dealings and stuff. At least the Xenomorph like is is like kind of honest about it. I forget if that's this one or one of the other. Oh, uh, that's Resurrection or Three, I think. Is, I, I think that might, might be, be three. three. That must be three. Yeah, I think that's three. But yeah, see, that's too good of a line for Resurrection. But I think that's in three. <laughs> yeah, I remembered it, so it can't be Resurrection. <laughs> there's nothing in Resurrection. Yeah, yet, exactly. Except there's like some weird scene where Ripley kind of hooks up with an alien or something. I don't even know what the hell is yeah, going on in there. Yeah, that was such a bizarre movie. Ugh, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, that must be from three. So in this one, Cameron gets that message across without being so blatant about it because he's, he's a more, he's a more uh, nuanced filmmaker. And that sounds weird coming from the guy behind Terminator, but <laughs> he's a more nuanced filmmaker than that. Like in his approach of what I'll, you know, everybody likes to say elevated horror nowadays. Like, what does that mean? That's a horror movie. That's good. Basically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just and, a non B movie horror movie. Right, in my I guess. Yeah. And then, so this is, but Cameron really kind of specialized in the eighties and nineties of an elevated action, basically. Oh yeah. Kind of, yeah, it's, making it's that beyond action. It's not just an action movie like an Arnold could do. Like you couldn't throw Arnold in this role. No. Have it be believable as Sigourney Weaver's character. Like regardless of the whole Ripley or whatever thing, like you couldn't put Stallone in this role. You couldn't put 
Jason Statham in this role, you couldn't put anybody but Sigourney Weaver in this role. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and it made her, you know, it made her career. It made this franchise, oh, yeah. this franchise that really Scott is still making movies of for some reason, <laughs> trying to do it without Ripley. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's showing itself for what it is without her. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, have you your, seen Covenant? I have seen Covenant. I actually thought it was better than Prometheus. Like I wasn't bored. Yeah. At least. No, there are actual aliens in this one, so I mean that's definitely an improvement. Step in the right I direction. Mean, alien in the title, alien. alien in the movie. <laughs> you know, Fastbender is always fun to watch, even if the movie around him is just kind of whatever. Yeah. Um, at one point, he's talking to him, a clone of himself, like the other one, <laughs> and he's telling, uh, he's saying, "Oh, you have to like playing an instrument." He's saying about you have to finger it, and I remember that got Snickers in my audience. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I'll do the fingering. I think he says, and everyone is like. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh so yeah so we love it's Cameron not the same there. kind of humor though really like no no it's not not even yeah. i don't even know if it was intentional to be honest <laughs> i feel like it's like yeah like you said i think ridley scott doesn't really understand the franchise that he started anymore and no it's nothing like what he started and he's trying to wrestle it back under control and take it in his original direction that he never got to take it in it seems like yeah yeah like, I really wonder if he'd done a second movie if the Xenomorph would have even been in it. Yeah, I don't know. We'll never we'll never know, I guess. Unless, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I mean, at this point, even... interesting, actually, Some real quick. Yeah. So Cameron had a lot of problems with filming the movie over in England because he was working with Ridley Scott's original crew at the original studio that Alien was filmed at. And they were very loyal to Ridley Scott, and they did not know who the hell James Cameron was. And they gave him all sorts of grief, like they would interrupt a complicated shoot and be like, oh, we got to take tea time, or we got to go down to the pub, or like, and they weren't used to working a 12-hour shooting day like American film crews were. So Cameron ran into a lot of difficulties with Scott's basically leftover crew. Hmm. And he still managed to pull it together like this. That's yeah, so impressive. Yeah, he still managed to pull this off, like... Well, I think he knew this was his critical moment because, like I said, he did Piranha 2, uh, the spawning, <laughs> and then the Terminator, yeah. which was, you know, a hit, but not like not like an Aliens level hit. I think it was right. a surprise that it did that well. So I think he knew this is my moment to either prove myself and be the next James Cameron, which he didn't even understand when he said that. So who knows what that meant? Uh, <laughs> But um, to be the king of the world, I guess, we can use a Titanic reference yeah. there. Uh, or to slip away into obscurity as, hey, you're that guy that made that one good movie in the 80s. And right. you know, he stuck the landing and he nailed it because this was, like I said, this made actually around the same amount of money as, as Alien, like slightly more. And had the same critical response and you know, won Oscars and obviously and people are still talking about it on podcasts to, to this day. <laughs> so do you think, you know, do you think, as we were talking about Cameron, we, I think we sort of alluded to the point that Cameron with the, has similarly lost uh, his uh, vision of the Terminator franchise and the way that Scott has with Alien. So that being said, do you think there's any chance that the man who made Aliens, an amazing sequel mm. to an already sol- uh, to a solid movie, to an amazing movie in that case, or Terminator 2 Judgment Day delivers an Avatar 2 that anyone actually cares about? Did anybody really care about Avatar to begin with? <laughs> we all saw I mean, it. It made a buttload of money. Like obviously, it made like it was pr- basically printing money at one point. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I saw it in the theater I, with 3D and stuff. I was pretty impressed. But like the sto- and it was trying so hard to be Aliens. Like I could see it 
every step of the way, like the Marines thing, like the com- want to be camaraderie thing, like the alien tribe camaraderie, and like it was trying really hard to get people to care about it, but I didn't really care. Yeah. Like it was a very obvious Fern Gully ripoff to me, like to reference an old 80s animated movie. Oh, I remember that was Fern Gully. Very similar to Avatar in a lot of ways. Yep. Very similar in some very suspicious ways. Robin Williams as a bat and Tim Curry as a uh, cloud of smoke. Noxious yes. fumes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need to know uh, about that one. Yeah, I loved that movie as a kid. That was great. Tim Curry's great in general. In general. I need to, yeah, yeah. I, really, I need to go back and watch some of that again. But, but, um, like, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Avatar I didn't really care that much about. And like I watched the riff tracks of Avatar. But it's a long movie, and like Aliens is a long movie that doesn't feel like a chore to watch. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of these movies that they're coming out with now that are longer should not have been so long. Like, yes, it's good to give some directors some more artistic freedom, but that doesn't mean you have to make every movie three hours. Right. And they feel like chores to watch. Like, and that's one thing that's, and that's why Aliens, like, not only does it have its special place in my heart for like how I was introduced to it and how like I scared myself so bad with it, but also like it's a movie that I can keep coming back to watch. Like I watched it today, and I was able to watch the movie. And like usually with movies that I've seen a bunch of times, when I watch it again, like like when I watch it, like to show my girlfriend or something, like I'll be kind of like half distracted on Facebook, kind of half watching the movie, like. Because I know it so well, like I've seen it so many times, like it doesn't hold a lot of surprises for me. Like Aliens, when you're watching it, like it doesn't matter whether it's the first time or the fiftieth time, like it's still a captivating movie that you're gonna watch and like be interested in what's going on with. Yeah, there's a certain level of movie that you know whenever whenever I'm on the computer and I want to put something on in the background, I'm like, ooh, that's oh. No, I can't put that on. That's too good. <laughs> I won't be able yeah, to no, focus on what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be watching the movie the whole time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, we'll see. I'm I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a lot of faith in Avatar. What is it? Two, three, four, five, whatever he's doing. Oh, yeah, Who there's the supposed knows? to be like four more, oh, I think. No, it's so funny because I was on, I just, I was on his uh, Wikipedia page a moment ago <laughs> and it has like his different uh, franchise, Terminator franchise, blah, blah, blah. And then his Avatar franchise, 2009 to 2027. Because yeah, I know. He, like, like, he wants to like make this his life, just making Avatar movies. I like, I, I get he's fascinated by technology and by animation. About what it can do these days, but that doesn't mean you have to dedicate your life to it. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and I think I feel like my ter- Avatar experience is similar to a lot of people's, and that I saw the first one, I was like, that was really cool, spectacle, whatever. Yeah, I actually it was even a spectacle. I actually even bought the Not Blu-ray with, when it came out, and I watched it once, and that was <laughs> ten years ago, <laughs> and I haven't yeah, no, watched like, it or watched had it. the inkling, had any interest in watching it since then. So, yeah, no, it doesn't have any captivation to it. Doesn't have any interest. Like, it's a chore of a movie to watch because it's so long. And like, even if it was shorter, I don't think I would really go back to watch it, just because it it was all right. I mean, it was a spectacle. Like, look at what CGI can do. Ooh, exactly. shiny. Yeah, and yet they have a whole you know a whole like 
part of the Disney park. I think it's animal kingdom in here in Florida. Oh yeah. I'm oh, like, yeah. why do, do people care about that? Like, I don't, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Maybe avatar two will come out and, and we'll all be eating our words. We'll be like, it's like aliens and T2 all over again. But I feel, <laughs> I feel like, like you were saying, uh, filmmakers that reach a certain status, they just have, they, they just get way too indulgent, uh, yeah. with their storytelling. I mean, I'm thinking specifically of, uh, Quentin Tarantino, who I used to love, and then the last like three or four movies are all like two hours and forty five minutes, like three hours, and I'm like, dude, you could have chopped like a half hour out of this easy. Oh yeah, like I saw Hateful Eight, but that's the last Tarantino movie that I've seen, just because. Yeah, there it's overly indulgent in a way. Like sometimes a good artists need artistic freedom, but sometimes you need to be reined in on certain. Th- indulgences you could say <laughs> right exactly so i think when when cameron made titanic and it was so three hours and six minutes or whatever he's like that's it all all epic movies from here on out and he's made yeah. avatar and that, that's it so far um but yes so is there anything well next i about aliens that we haven't covered that you wanted to make sure we brought up Nah, favorite line would have to be when ripley says i say we take off a nuclear site from orbit it's the only way to be sure Mm-hmm. Like I love using that as a meme on Facebook, like a little animated GIF that I found. Like, it's just there's so many perfect, and that's another thing about this movie is that there's a lot of great one-liners. Yeah, like game over, man, game over. What the f are we gonna do? What the f are we gonna do now? Like, and when Hudson's getting going apeshit, shooting the aliens and like the final in his final moments, and then gets pulled under, and he's like swearing up a storm. And, like, there's so many perfect quotable moments and, like, Newt saying they mostly come at night, mostly. Mm-hmm, mostly, yeah, I remember that. And, I mean, there's just so many things that this movie does absolutely perfectly. And it's just really amazing that Cameron hit it out of the park this early in his career as a director. Yeah. I think. With, with a property that he didn't create, too. Yeah. Yeah. And with and- his crew that hated him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, people are still, it's not, a, yeah, like you were saying, just not, it's not even just the get away from her, you bitch, which obviously everybody remembers, but like oh, so yeah. much more than that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Hudson alone is, has so many quotable lines. Oh, he's <laughs> just a quote machine, basically. No, Hudson, yeah, every time what? he, and Bill Paxton leans into that like hard. I miss Bill Paxton. RIP. Oh, Paxton. me too, man. So like, sad. this is my favorite of his roles, I think. And like, he was improvising a lot of that stuff, I found out. Yeah. Yeah, but like, I mean, like game over, man. Part was all improvised, I think. Yeah, he brings that, and that character in Lesser Hands could have come off really obnoxious. Oh God, but, totally obnoxious. Like they do a, I mean, you've seen Hudson again in other action movies, but he's just obnoxious in those. Yeah, like that kind of role, not like Bill Paxton being obnoxious, but that kind of like smart alec, know it all, like freak out role, like. It's been done in action movies again and again and again, and it never comes close to Hudson. Yeah, 100%. Like, this movie's got a lot of archetypes in it that have been derived and diluted over the years and subsequent other movies and other takes on the idea. Well, I mean, you said it yourself. At this point, Cameron is basically kind of in Avatar and beyond kind of remixing himself, basically. Oh, yeah. No, he's just... he. Do, I don't think he has any creativity left. Yeah. He's... Well, he's He's solely focused on CGI and he's lost sight of storytelling, I think. Right. Yeah. 
Well, it happened to Lucas, so it's only oh yeah. You know, I mean, that's how it goes. Captivating, especially when you're used to having to do practical effects and like miniature effects. Like, so when they did this movie and they showed the Fox Studio execs, the studio execs were like, "You spent all this money on sets. Like, what were you thinking? Like, we gave that to you for special effects." And they're like, "No, no, we did it all in miniatures and like sound stages. Like, this was all perfectly in budget. Like, they mm-hmm. they." They tricked the studio execs into thinking those are real, actual props and sound stages. Like when most of those are miniatures. Like yeah, wow. And this game has a really on-point miniatures game too. Like those are some really intricate models and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, not only that, we have um, you know, you see, you actually see. Well, it's not their home world. I don't think it, it but you see the LV four two six, which now. Everybody every year has Alien Day, which oh, you better believe I'm going to make sure that this episode is posted by then. Nice. Um, <laughs> just because, might as well. Uh, Hell yeah. So yeah, so definitely if you haven't seen Aliens in a while and you're listening to this, uh, go check out Alien and Aliens and then, you know, watch Alien 3 if you feel like you have some time to kill uh, or you're doing yeah. something on in the background just to look up be like, oh, poor Ripley. Poor one yeah, out for as Ripley long as at you the get end. The last then, five minutes. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, uh, Will Nexi, can you tell people where they can find you on social media? So I'm on Facebook, Will uh, underscore Nexi, I think, N-E-X-I-I. And I also have facebook.com slash group slash 372 pages. It's a fi- an official fan Facebook group for Mike Nelson and Connell Stoka from Rift Tracks podcast, 372 pages, where they read bad books and make fun of them. Kind of like a MST3K take on bad books. Nice. It's pretty fun. Very cool. Yeah. So, Will, next I thank you so much for coming on to talk aliens and bringing it to the oh, table. Oh, this has been a blast, and I've had an awesome time. Absolutely. We'll, we'll have to bring you back uh, at some point to talk about something else. This was a lot of fun, and this is obviously cool. a classic movie that, you know, I, I didn't... I didn't get a chance to rewatch for this episode because I, but I've seen it so many times that it's pretty fresh in my mind, except oh, for yeah. that one quote, I guess that I miss, uh, misattributed, but it definitely makes me want to go back and watch it again. So people listening to this, uh, you know, I'll see you, uh, I'll see you on the alien, uh, on aliens, I guess, cause we'll all be watching it now, <laughs> but thank you well for coming on. We'll do, we'll definitely, definitely bring you back. It was a pleasure, man. Have a great day. <laughs> Thanks. You too. Take care. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the little KED. Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 <laughs>